This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Okay, second lesson, Galatians 6, 7-16. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right. For we will reap at the harvest time, and it if we do not give up. <clears throat> so then, whatever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I am writing to my own hand? It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast of anything except the Christ of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the word world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything, but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow the rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Holy wisdom, holy word. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus, who is risen from the dead. Amen. Whenever I hear someone say how proud they are to be an American or how proud they are of their children or even how proud they are of this church, and I want to admit that I have said all three of those things, I think of something that Wayne Watson, a Christian singer, once said. He said, the older I get, the less there is to be proud of and the more there is to be thankful for. That there's a lot more on my thankful list than is on my proud list. It's a 4th of July weekend, you know that. I, I, I don't know, though, if you, there is anybody who is more thankful to be an American than I am. Um, I did not achieve that. I did not earn it. It just kind of happened for me. It is an accident of birth. I'm one of the most blessed people on the face of the earth by living in this country, and I am thankful to God for that gift. We're in the seventh of seven weeks on six chapters of Galatians, and for those of you who are math challenged, that means this is the last week of Galatians. Paul started this little group of congregations in a region, not not one city, but a region in what is now Turkey, somewhere between like 30 and 50 AD. He's no longer there, that's why he's writing them the letter, the good news of Jesus was just too important to lock up in one church or one area or one culture or one nation. But then he's out there and he gets word that his dear friends and this congregations that he started are having a significant conflict. They're having a division. And on the one side are what are called Judaizers, um, Jewish Christians. They, they love Jesus. They claim them as the source of peace in their life, the source of hope. But they just, they just couldn't get past their roots and their, their cultural baggage. 
And that took a whole lot of forms, uh, dress, uh, food, kosher. But the lightning rod, as we heard in that reading, uh, was circumcision. Which, by the way, I am on record of saying, I think that's the worst evangelism program in the history of the church. <laughs> you're not Jewish, you're a male, you want to follow Jesus, want to be part of our church. You need to come to a membership class and be circumcised. And when Paul gets word that anyone would dare to exclude anyone from the love of God, and it's happening in one of his former churches, he goes apoplectic. Fires off this letter that is so profound and so powerful that they actually heed it. They listen to him. And they are restored in the community. And then, every once in a while, when they needed to be reminded that God's love is more extravagant and more radical and more relentless than even they can imagine, every once in a while, in the midst of another conference, they'll bring it back out and they'll read it again. And they'll share it from congregation to congregation over and over for year after year until eventually Paul's letter to the Galatians that he fired off in his fit of rage becomes so central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus that they add it to the canon They make it part of the Bible. Make sure you have the bigger picture. The the region of Galatia is about 200 miles east of Istanbul. It's about 900 miles west or further east would be the site of the, the first persecution of Christians in a place called Jerusalem. That persecution was fueled by a radical Jewish extremist named Saul who spewed something that sounded like this. If you're not like us, then you don't belong here. And by here, he easily extrapolated. He didn't just mean his native land, God's country, Zion, Israel. He meant the face of the earth. Better dead if you're not like us. Scripture says that Saul was there the day that they dragged Satan Stephen out into the street and stoned him to death. And then Saul has this conversion experience. And his ugly, them and us, selfish, violent impulse miraculously gives way to something completely different. Faith, hope, and love exist, says Paul to another church that he started. But the greatest of these is love. Saul meets the resurrected Jesus. He meets the one who had been persecuted, beaten, whipped, spit on, crucified on a cross by both religious and political leaders, and then stuffed into a nameless grave. Saul meets that very same Jesus, but now he is alive and he is risen. And they're on the road to Damascus. They're not in Jerusalem. They're on the road to Syria. And Jesus point blank asked Saul, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? And at that moment, Saul's heart just changes. And his head changes and his life changes and his rhetoric changes and his reason for existing, his purpose, his vision, it all changes. And he becomes no longer Saul. He becomes what we all now know as the apostle, Paul. 
And that is who started the churches in Galatia. And that's who wrote this letter that we are reading. A former terrorist. So when Paul hears that his old friends in Galatia have fallen off the deep end of nativism and xenophobia and bigotry, it's too close to home for him. And he fires off these six pages that we now know as the Bible, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And in this letter we have learned, he says, peace with God is a gift. It's a gift. God's love is a gift. God's grace is a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not on your proud list. It's on your thankful list. Now, as he reaches the end of the letter, and he's been making his point with a, a, a good deal of energy, um, he wants them to know that he's not just like a, a religious nutcase. And so he, he, he's not naive, and he wants them to know that. He's aware of how the human condition works. So before he signs off, and we're reading the very last sentences of his letter today, he makes sure that they know what it is that he knows. He says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You are going to reap what you sow. That, he says, is why we should never grow weary of doing his right and working good for everyone. Now, reap what you sow. Take this to the bank. Start keeping track. Let me know. I'll bet you 90% of the times you hear that phrase, reap what you sow, is legalism. Has nothing to do with the grace of God or the kingdom of God coming among us. You reap what you sow, really? And that's Paul's point. If you do bad things, bad things happen. That's why there are bad people, because they do bad things. If you do good things, well, good things happen because they're good people. If you plant good seed, good seed happens. If you plant blank, then blank happens. If that's your view, and frankly, it's a whole lot of the world's view right now, it might be wise to step back and read like some of Jesus, some of Jesus' parables. In particular, he said that it's unlikely that there is anyone here, much less any candidate or political party or religious sect, that can actually tell the difference between a wheat and a weed. You can tell the difference between good and bad. You don't even know what it is, much less do it. Bad things do happen to good people. All the time. Satan himself, says Jesus, comes in the middle of the night, that is when our eyes are shut, and spreads blank, spreads weed seed everywhere. And bad things happen to everyone. Ask the city of Orlando... Ask the families of 41 killed in Istanbul, 250 people wounded. Ask the families who are seeing pictures today of their family members with their necks slit. Do not think for a minute that Paul is telling them at the end of this letter, so you, you just do a bunch of good works, separate yourself from those bad people, and that's going to make everything great again when good people do good things. That's the root of the problem. That's law. And the law doesn't save anyone. This is how Paul closes out his letter. He says, May I never boast about anything other than the cross of Jesus. Of all the things that he could have boasted about, and this is just my pastor list, okay? Converted, 
his ministry, started dozens of congregations, equipped Barnabas and Silas, wrote this letter that had an impact all over the Middle East. He closes his letter not by boasting about anything that he's done, but on what God has done through the cross of Jesus. Paul's basically saying the opposite of what he means so that they'll get it. It's called a rhetorical strategy. Boasting implies that you have something to boast about. And that's what living underneath the law does. Let me say it again. Boasting implies that you actually have something to boast about. That's what the law does. It makes you think that you have something to brag about. And it gives people an opportunity to boast. I'm a good person. I, I keep the law. I observe the commandments. I've been circumcised. I eat kosher. I'm, I'm one of the chosen. I believe I belong to the church. I tithe. I live in this country, this community. I belong to this party, this neighborhood, this race. I'm not like those people. And followers of Jesus don't do that. We don't do that in the church. It's like bragging that you're an American when all you've ever done is your duty or even less just been born here. We're not saved by anything we do. We're not saved by anything our forebears did. We're all of us saved by the same thing. We're saved by Christ, by the cross of Christ. And that, that is where peace with God is found. That's where peace in the world is found. Now, the truth is, and I want to own this, we like to brag. Every year I update my resume. I got it. In some sick kind of way, it makes you feel like you're actually getting something done. It lets you see who you are. But it's a very slippery slope. Here's how I noticed it this week. Um, it's soon to be Olympics time. You're hearing about news. Trials are all going on now. Next week we'll be in full swing with the Olympics. I want to encourage you to join me and keep praying for the people of Brazil. Uh, so much is happening there in South America as they struggle to host the world. And frankly, a whole lot of what I hear on the television right now sounds like, oh, those poor people, they can't host as well as we can. You remember the story of a, the U.S. hockey team that beat the Russians, I think it was like 1980? Uh, basically, a bunch of collegians knocked off all professional players that played for Russia and Finland. Well, they made a movie about it. The movie's called Miracle. And every 4th of the July weekend, they trotted out. I just got finished watching it yesterday. In the movie, right before the big game against the Soviet Union, the U.S. coach has them all in the locker room, and he's just screaming at them, and he says, you were born for this moment to beat the Russians. Now look, like nobody gets more excited by that kind of stuff than me. But come on. God manipulated all the laws of nature so that the United States of America could win a hockey game? Really? There's just something within us that wants to believe that we're number one, that we're superior, that we're the greatest. And frankly, we will follow almost anyone who tells us that, that we're better than them, that our problems are because of them. And then... And then they come to church and you get confronted with the hard truth that it's not about us. It's not about us at all. It's actually, it's about a carpenter's kid 
who after fleeing uh, their native land, seeking asylum in another country, they returned to some tiny little town in the middle of Palestine, where he, uh, 2,000 years ago, preached something called the kingdom of God, where everyone would be loved and included and treated with respect. And because he did, he was tortured to death like a lamb among wolves. Criminal, and not by an angry God, but by self-righteous, angry people. You want to boast about something, says Paul? You want to glory about something? Well, glory in this. They nailed Jesus to a tree. They nailed him to a tree. And he rose from the dead. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't. And I think that's Paul's point. He says, don't be deceived. Yes, indeed, you're going to reap what you sow. And we might look like we've kept the law. We might deserve all the blessings that we receive, Lord, right? But in truth, we are just as captive to sin, just as indebted to Jesus, if not more so than everybody else. Peace and freedom begin and end at the cross of Christ. Now, uh, this is my dilemma as I struggle to preach this weekend. Um, you might not feel at peace today. I do red, white, and boom every weekend. It's kind of hard to get excited about the world right now. I, I, and I'm not going to lie about this today. I, I'm, not, I'm not over Orlando. And, I, and then comes Istanbul. And then before the week is even over, Bangladesh. I, I doubt that any of those people feel thankful. I doubt they feel blessed, and, and and it's not out of my scope to think that maybe lots of you don't feel all that at peace today either. Maybe you're hurting so badly that you can't see what it is that God has done on the cross. Philip Yancey said this. He said, sometimes the cloud of pain is so great that it, it eclipses the light of God in your life. I'll let that out there for a minute. Sometimes there's so much pain and so much junk going on that you can't see the very light of a gracious God in the world. But it's still there. It's there. There's still, in Paul's words, a more excellent way. There is, in Paul's words, a peace that passes understanding. This is why we gather. We gather around this word and around these sacraments. There is peace in the cross of Jesus. There's no peace in the law. There's no peace in trying to prove yourself to the world or to God that you're worthy enough or more worthy than anyone else. There's no peace in that. There is peace. Peace that passes understanding. Peace that conquers death and relinquishes despair. And it's found in the cross of Jesus. Here's where it's found. And it's why we do it every week. The peace of the Lord be with you. May we never boast about anything other than the cross of Jesus. Amen.